brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Radical. Fundamental principles of freedom. Rational self-interest. And individual rights. <laughs> This is the Yaron Brook Show. <laughs> All right, everybody, and welcome. It's been ages. I, I don't even know how long, about a, two months, I think, since Amy and I had a show. And since then, Amy's been on Carlson, and she's been, she's interviewed, uh, of course, I Shapiro. Shapiro, Ben Shapiro. For and 10 whole minutes. For 10 whole minutes. That's good. He gave you 10 minutes. That's good. He won't debate me. At least he gave you 10 minutes. That's, that's a plus. Well, I mean, he, I, I told you this before, he follows me on Twitter. I don't yeah. know yeah. exactly that's why, great. but that's you great. Know, he gave me a compliment too. He said that he thought I was an interesting thinker. So that was good. nice. Good. Good. Um, yeah. But yeah, when you watch it after you read the book, then you'll have to let me know how you thought I did on the 10 minutes. That could have been an I told you so today if you had you know, finished. What would I have told you so? Something that I did wrong or, you oh, know, something I that so. I, I could have predicted Shapiro so would have said X, Y, Z, you know, I told you so, Amy. Cause well, you're so one good way Susie says Amy is a badass. So, <laughs> Oh, you know, I, I was talking to someone like, and they were saying, Oh, you know, you did this other feat or whatever. I don't feel like I do feats. I feel like sometimes I'm dragging myself from thing to thing or whatever. But so, yeah, so today I'm sitting in a new location and I got it all set up today. So that was my latest That's great. feat. That's mm-hmm. great. That is a significant feat. Moving is never easy. Never set ever up ever all easy. the tech by myself wow. here. I'm impressed. Got it all transferred over, new cable, you know. Internet. I would have to photograph all the connections to remember what goes where, oh, what dials go here <laughs> and there and everything. So, you know, your own, um, it's, you know, kind of a mixed day, right? We had tax day yesterday and then there was the Notre Dame and I've got a sick dog and other stuff. And, you know, eh. uh, but the thing that I am really, really bummed about, you want to hear it? Okay. Then I have to tell you my tax day thing. Yeah, good. Oh yeah. Really Cause good. I do. I want to hear, you know, yeah. what taxes are for the privileged Puerto Rico That's residents. Right. Okay. Right. But, um, 
anyway, my, and my tax day was pretty civil, probably compared to yours, actually. Uh, the thing I'm really bummed about is that both you and I have gotten this moving to a new place all wrong, okay? Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, I stayed in Southern California. Yeah. You you went to Puerto Rico. Yeah. But guess where the New York Times says all the cool kids are moving? Where are all the kids, cool kids moving? I don't know. Duluth. 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 Minnesota. Minnesota. No, the not the cool place. kids. The kids who love the cold, they got it wrong. Right. No, no, but see, there's this whole new thing, yeah. and I mean, you're just you're just not one of the cool kids anymore. Your own, I'm sorry. You know, you try to be I all been a edgy a with long, the intro time. music and the stuff, but long, the long new time. term is climate refuge. Oh, I saw that. That's insane. That's right because yeah. it's too hot. And and you know, it's going to be so attractive to live in Duluth <laughs> because now that it's but, getting warmer, they have. Are you ready for this? They have fewer days per year when it gets to 30 below zero. So I have, I mean, here's one I told you so. Here's my I told you so because it's already here, right? I have for years been saying, years, literally, I can't remember how long, but a long time. I've been saying as a joke, but really half serious, that global warming will finally make Canada habitable. And I think that's true of Minnesota as well. As somebody who's traveled a lot in Minnesota, has been there in February, has been there when it's minus 30, has almost killed himself skidding on the ice driving in February in Minnesota. I can tell you that finally, if global warming actually happens, finally, a big portion of of that state plus Canada will become habitable. Think of all the uh, agriculture that once you get rid of that ice and you get that, that, that... you know, fertile land underneath the ice. We'll be able to grow all kinds of amazing things. Um, so, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm looking forward to the day that the people in, uh, in Canada and in Duluth, Minnesota, are nice and warm. <laughs> I'm not moving out of Puerto Rico, even if it gets warmer, because it's, it doesn't really get that hot here. I mean, that's the amazing thing about, uh, about Puerto Rico. And the other amazing thing is... Uh, well, I mean, I've, I've, I've kind of filed extensions on all my taxes. So yesterday passed without a whimper. But all I can say is it's so cool because my tax bill is going to be basically zero. I mean, it's, it's, it's insane how low my taxes are now that I live in Puerto Rico and how little I'll have to pay once all my taxes are done. But basically uh, what you're doing is you're subsidizing the economy of Puerto Rico in lieu of paying taxes. No, I wouldn't call it subsidizing, right? So uh, so I I mean, you're there to to Puerto Rico, but 4% is minor. Probably pay for my police and for for the things that that the government you want to do. No, no, no. But what I'm saying is by renting a place there and stuff, you are stimulating the economy of Puerto Rico. Yes, well, that's why I moved to Puerto Rico because I wanted to stimulate the Puerto Rican economy. I was with a, a, a lot of people over the weekend at a conference, mostly people um, who I'd say, mostly who identify on the left. And um, almost everybody, you know, they asked me, why did you move to Puerto Rico? And I just proudly and with passion said, because I get to pay no taxes. And some of them looked at me like, oh, that's kind of cool, I think, if that's okay. And right. then others looked at me like, 
you bastard, you know, you, you, you should be, you should love paying taxes. You should enjoy paying taxes. So it was, uh, it was kind of funny. So you haven't uh, taken the giving pledge from the gates, right? I'm not rich enough. I'm never mm. be rich enough. I ever, ever, ever in my life will I be rich enough to take the giving pledge. And I yeah, wouldn't if I did. Enjoy your money. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, so I yeah. that was the first I told you so that you already did. Yeah. And yeah. it's yeah. good because we have today was the anniversary. It just happened. You know how Facebook gives you these memories? Yeah, it gave me the memory of the little clip that I pulled from last year's show. Sometimes the memories are good, sometimes not so good, you know, whatever. It's funny, I get memories of the old flower pictures that I took. I have that hobby of flower pictures on Instagram. And some of the flower pictures I took two or three years ago are just pathetic. So I'm getting better at that. I'm not getting better at other things. And and then some things, it's news that's still relevant. It's all, I I told you so sort of stuff that we might be talking about today. But yeah, that was a year ago. that was the first thing I stuck in the program notes, the little clip for people who missed it. Your own got to gloat about Ted Cruz. He was right about Ted Cruz and I was and, wrong and, to have. And every year that passes, it turns out I'm even writer about Ted Cruz, right? I mean, he's there worse was something today that he said ago. a while ago and I'm just trying to remember it. And with everything that's been going on, it slipped my mind, but there was something he said recently again. Yes. He's been so bad recently. He's been terrible. Even on the stuff that he used to be good, like standing up for uh, smaller governments and shrinking government spending, he's reversed himself on. So something good um, recently, though, too. He said something really good recently. Oh, I can't remember what it was. Oh well, I'm sorry. I'm gonna have to go back and do it, do the guy some justice because there was a bad thing and then a good thing right after it. Yeah. Uh, so the program notes for everybody who has not ever watched us together before or maybe people who just forgot don't let it go.com i've got program notes i'm just calling it your own and i told you so and i'm pretty sure that on the topics that we have that he will say i told you so about a number <laughs> of the things although one of them is not apparently ben shapiro because you're still reading the book right i'm still reading the book on ben shapiro i i'm struggling a little bit because the religion comes in very early and he you know his insist his selective reading of religion is selective choosing of facts about religion is so infuriating because he's an educated person. He's educated about religion, but you, but religious people do this, you know, but, but he knows his religion. He knows his old Testament and the fact that he picks and chooses the things, um, you know, just, just drives me crazy. So, you know, it's, and he goes into it so quickly that, the value, there's very little value there, because, you know, because by the time he's going to get to the better stuff, maybe, if there is better stuff about Greece or whatever, you know, most people are going to be, have been bombarded by the religion stuff and they can't take the Greek stuff seriously. So it's... it's yeah, so I, I found also that I thought he slanted the Greeks in a certain way to make it more necessary for his thesis to play out which is that you've got to have jerusalem and athens right according to him you have to have religion yeah. and the reason. greeks had no morality no, no ethics they, they they didn't do ethics they you know they, yeah. yeah or if they did it wasn't individualistic enough that's the interesting oh, wow. loss wow. that he's as got with to, it. yeah as compared yeah. to the old testament which is very individualistic oh my god um yeah so i mean this is a good topic i know you you've interviewed him but we needed to, you know, we need to get more in it, 
you know, continuously in his face about these issues and, br and bring out the contradiction. So I'm hoping th there's still conversation about um, having a debate with him. So I'm hoping that'll happen in the next 12 months. We'll see. What he, there's a little clip that I added and it was thanks to a friend of mine and it is from Twitter that he posted and he's talking about giving secular based arguments for all of his political positions. But then he goes on to say that all of those secular arguments then go back to the Judeo-Christian religion or religious yeah. doctrine and that, you know, the way that he uh, understands religion religion is basically the foundation for the idea that we should use reason to understand our world. Why should we use reason to understand our world? Because it's given to us by God and that's the purpose that he intended for a reason. Um, but I don't, don't know, you remember you that? It, what was it? The 11th commandment about I shall use reason to discover <laughs> truth in the world. Did you, um, read the part of the book where he's talking about the transition from polytheism to monotheism and how monotheism is so much better because when it was the Greek polytheist, you had all of those different gods and they were so capricious and jealous and angry and all yeah. the horrible, you know, everything was so unpredictable. There were no real laws. You got I, mean, that part? I think there's something to that. I, I haven't read that part of the book, but actually, I mean, I, I do think that monotheism is an achievement over polytheism. Polytheism is very concrete bound in a sense that, well, you don't understand the sun, so there's a sun god. You don't understand the rivers rising. and, and there's, So I, I think it's an achievement put one bucket in, okay, here's a god that, that encompasses everything and we don't, have to, we, we don't have to have... So there's a sense in which both epistemologically and, and probably in a sense of trying to understand the world, it probably is a an advancement and, and yeah. a necessary well, he, advancement he, probably he was saying how to the negation it's, it's, of gods altogether. He was saying how it's so much better in the sense that things are more predictable, but the way he describes it, and, and he has to be honest about this, right? Yeah. Is that God, the God, the single God that he believes in operates according to certain laws. You mean like when he, usually when he, most of the time, right? You mean and like then when sometimes he stops the movement of the sun around the earth and, in the book of Joshua, <laughs> you know that. No, but he—I think he means more about you know when human beings are good, they're rewarded, and when human beings are bad, they're punished. And those, you know, but we had, for instance, yesterday, what would have caused the whole fire at Notre Dame, right? Um, well, ge the generally, could... the problem of evil, which has plagued religions and Judaism in particular, because while Christianity solves the problem of evil with hell and, and heaven. There is no hell and heaven. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. 
When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. ...in Judaism, not in traditional Judaism. So they have a real problem with the problem of evil. How come evil people seem to be do okay and good people die and and or, or horrible things happen to them or get into accidents and you know have horrible horrible things and and the and and this I, i'd love to debate you know ben even on these kind of issues because how does he explain the book of job where you know god does these horrible things to poor old job and his family kills them all off and slaughters them and uh, destroys him and then job says you know, why are you doing this to me, God? And I don't understand it. I was a good person. I was followed all the rules. And God says, who are you to ask? Even ask the question. Talk about, talk about seeking truth and using reason to discover the world. I mean, right. And, that, and that. that's the thing. There's so he, you know, what Shapiro yeah. talks about in there, and there's a, there's a few different places where this, you know, he has to sort of finesse this issue. Yeah. And he'll say, well, usually... God operates according to laws that we can comprehend and, you know, does things for reasons that we can understand. And then there's just, there's the the occasional time where basically you have to have faith that even though you don't understand why law, uh, excuse me, why God is acting the way he is in a certain time, that it's to teach human beings a lesson. And at the same time, we all have free will, right? God controls all this stuff and determines what's going to happen to you. But, Ben Shapiro says we also have free will. So, no, I mean, it's a problem with religion. Religion is filled with contradiction. Ben is filled with those same contradictions. He can't escape them. He's rationalized them to himself because... Well, he says we are, though, right? So he'll say, you know, there's no way to understand free will if you're a secular materialist. And, you know, again, I have my 10 minutes, but I did raise the issue. Do you have to, in order to be an atheist, be a secular materialist? And I say no. Um, and gave him an indication but yeah yeah, there's i think he just he he thinks of rand and objectivism mostly in terms of the politics and he hasn't explored any further any deeper than that i referred him to two resources one was on car's recent discussion with dave rubin about free will because free will came up in particular and then of course rand's essay which was based on her talk at wisconsin the objectivist ethics, right, which is online and he could check out. And that gives you the foundations. So, you know, any concern about being able to have a secular foundation for morality, a secular explanation slash understanding, at least, of free will, uh, it, it's available. It's there. And, you know, he can. He yeah, can there's no excuse. I mean, you can you can say, I don't care about Ayn Rand and therefore I'm not going to study her. But then you can't criticize her. But if you're going to criticize her positions on morality or on free will, then you have to know what you're talking about. You have to actually study those ideas to be able to criticize them. Well, and then the thing that I brought up was that Rand really is the best sort of progression along the Aristotelian tradition. 
And if he's going to rule out Athens standing on its own as a foundation for Western civilization, he has got to rule out the best Aristotelian, you know, philosopher that there is. And he doesn't look at her at all. And like I said, you know, the only mention was that of the relationship with Nathaniel Brandon, which is just a horrible way to mention her. If you're going to mention in a book and that, then do only that. Right. So that's that's exactly, I mean, we will be, we will win. I mean, objectivism will be uh, on the path to, to winning the cultural battle when everybody is citing her and everybody has to knows they need to refute her arguments, not by strawmanning her, but by actually taking the argument seriously. Now, it could be that Ben is truly afraid that he's strawmanning because he doesn't want to go there because he, he knows... He sounded honestly ignorant, actually. He sounded like he was just more... Like he'd read the... Then why strawman uh, her? He then read why the, pretend he read you know something? Right? Yeah. You know, because he strawmans her all the time. On Dave Rubin, on other shows, he he... he he claims to know what he doesn't know. So, um, you know. He's he's judging based on his memory of things about the fiction, some of which is not yep. fully accurate itself, but it's also a work of fiction. And so when he read, maybe there's certain things he, you know, he didn't pick up from it from Atlas Shrugged. So Ryan has a question. What is the objectivism view of teleology? So in terms of there's an unmoved mover that actually has some sort of end and telos, you know, teleology, goals, goal-directed, deciding what the goals should be all comes from human beings, right? So for religion or any sort of a view of the universe having some sort of inbuilt teleology that we would disagree with that because it's not, you know. Um, It's interesting if you look at... Um, Camus, I was just, I was looking at some of my books the other day and I've got Camus, the stranger and looked at some stuff about Camus and he's one of the existentialists. And one of the critiques that they have is that the universe doesn't come sort of prepackaged with meaning in it. And so if there isn't meaning already kind of inbuilt in the universe out there, then there cannot be any objective or solid, any any kind of meaning of life. And that's Peterson, right? That's Jordan Peterson. So who's who I think is very much influenced by the existentialists. Yeah. And, and so, you know, how can you have meaning unless you resort to religion or a la Peterson, at least act as if you believe in religion? You know, yep. Shapiro is a true believer. Peterson says we may as well act as if we believe because it's sort of inbuilt in us uh, to to do better that way, you know, pragmatically we do better if we act as if religion was true and we should follow in the footsteps of God, etc. Yeah, I mean, we but, should recommend the one book that deals directly with teleology, which is Harry's book, uh, the, the Biological bi- Basis, biological of, teleology, basis yeah. of Teleological Concepts. So that's a, a um, you know, Harry Benswang uh, uh, deals directly with the question of teleology. So I'd recommend if you want to dig deeper, into this question that's way to find I mean it. I mean for Rand really the whole idea of forming goals becomes necessary and possible because we are living human beings with a certain nature and the goals are going to be of our choosing within a certain range that are appropriate for human beings meaning we have to support our lives using our rational faculty so meaning is objective in the sense that 
it requires looking at the nature of the being that we are, the nature of the universe mm -hmm. that we live in, and how we have to deal with the various, you know, actual scientific laws that are out there, gravity and everything else, right, in order to, to make our lives. Um, but within a range, and, and as long as we're complying with all of the laws that are applicable to our nature and the nature of the world that we live in, we have a choice to make meaning in our own lives. And a lot of people are uncomfortable with that, um, but it's perfectly objective. There's the facts out there and our interaction with them using a method appropriate to us. Yeah, and we don't have, we don't have the goals pre-programmed into us in spite of what yeah. the evolutionary biologists would tell you. No. No, no, no. Boy, we got abstract really quick, and I was going to do a lot of concretes and politics today, and here we are. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> you want to move on from Ben, or do you have more on Ben? So with Ben, you know, I, I, guess, I guess I'll wait until you read, and then maybe we can yep. pick up okay. the topic again. But I'll tease people with the question, because I would, I think, like to interest anybody who hasn't watched it yet to watch and then listen to my 10 minutes that I got with him. The question I asked him was this, because he puts forth this case that historically the Western civilization has been built upon these two tiller, two pillars, and it has, right? You've got the Greeks and you've got religion, yep. and those two things have combined together, you know, and, and in a way you could say that it was necessary for human beings to sort of go through that phase, uh, you, you know, Leonard Peikoff talks about the fact that religion is an early attempt to explain the universe and understand who we are and our relationship to the universe. And you might think, OK, for a human being, if, you know, human beings are going to evolve on a planet, that they would have to go through that religious phase. Nonetheless, and this is what I asked him, I said, even if that's true, that historically it happened to be the case, it would have had to always be the case if you're talking about human beings. Mm -hmm. Nonetheless, going forward, that doesn't mean that we have to adhere or, you know, retain both of those as the basis of our understanding of what makes Western civilization what it is. And then I went on to say the Aristotelian tradition properly understood, in my mind, provides a perfectly adequate foundation on its own and its best exponent, of course, is Rand. Yep. So um, if you guys are interested in hearing him react to that, which I thought was a good question to set up to him in the so 10 minutes that I have. Is it on your YouTube channel or on Facebook? It's okay. on my YouTube channel. Okay, mm -hmm. YouTube yeah. channel. Good. On my YouTube channel. And I've got the link to it in the program notes at don'tletitgo.com. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a cool interchange. He was uh, still friendly. But, you know, I, I said, I don't think he's, he's going to be surprised when I ask him this particular question because he follows me on Twitter. He knows exactly where I'm coming from. And it was yep. it was nice to have that exchange. But I do. I think he just really was trying to compartmentalize her more into politics and that, you know, he's a busy guy, too. And he's got kids and this whole publishing empire that he manages. He needs to make time to seriously consider these. I mean, she's ideas. a threat to his beliefs and the kind of orthodox Jew that he is. He's not going to question that. Too much of his, too much, I mean, very few people I mean, at I his don't age, expect him to be an objectivist, but I would expect him to just kind of look into it a little bit now that he's been given an indication. We'll okay. see. We'll see. You always have to remember, you don't debate these people to convince them. It's for the sake of the audience. And you don't get, I mean, the main reason to have Ben Shapiro on is to expand the audience. 
I I don't look at it quite that way. I mean, I'm happy I'm to expand my little that. audience. Some guy, you know, when when I tweeted out my announcement about this, and Ben Shapiro retweets my announcement about my discussion yeah. with him. Some guy writes back and he says, you know, the dozens of your listeners are going to be thrilled, or you know, like yeah, okay, I've got dozens. I'm small fry, you know, as I was saying, I'm small fry. Yeah, but that's but, how you expand by having Ben Shapiro on people. But I also it. enjoy the interchange with him. I mean, I'm. Yeah having a discussion with him and he's quite a cultural influence. So that's a good thing to have just a little bit of influence with Tucker and Tucker's producer. And this is part of a whole conversation about ideas. You're not on Tucker to convince Tucker. No, you're not on Tucker to convince his producer. You're not on Ben Shapiro. I'm not going to convince them, but they see at least that there is this other point of view that is reasonable. Yeah. Yeah, yep. That's that's was my small goal in right. the in the thing. <laughs> um, yeah, so Shapiro always gets credit for the facts. Don't care about your feelings, which I stuck yep. in the notes as well. Let's go on to Trump. Let's you know, what would our show be if we didn't spend some time? I know, I know. We, criticizing we need, Trump, we yeah. have to. We'd have to. It is it is an imperative. So, and today, to- actually, Trump so gave moment. me the yeah. opportunity to recycle. This meme that I had so much fun with, I spent way too much time on, but people, it's one of these where I have to explain it and people don't get it, so whatever. But I call it my zombie economy meme. Trump was bragging yesterday about, you know, what a great job he's doing. The forgotten voters of the 2016 election are now doing great. The steel industry is rebuilding and expanding at a pace that it hasn't seen in decades. Our country has one of the best economies in many years, perhaps ever. Unemployment numbers best in 51 years. Wow. And for me, I think of this as the zombie economy, that he is using government in a way to revive sectors of the economy that should have been dead, essentially. So it's the zombie economy, right? So we've got on my little meme, if you're looking at With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't let it go dot com or Twitter, wherever you guys follow me. Um, you've got the U.S. Steel zombie riding Harley Davidson basically out of the country because, you know, Harley Davidson is one of the companies oh, that has the, suffered thanks to the country, right? I mean, With yeah, tariffs, I mean, he's right? he's he is in a position to brag about the economy because the economy is doing well, uh, relatively speaking. It's, um, you know, uh, You know, he's 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 got the numbers on his side. 
Uh, they're nowhere near as good as he would like them to be. And that's, I guess, your next thing about him complaining about the Fed. But mm-hmm. uh, they're nowhere near as, as good as he promised them to be. And we're not seeing the bad stuff. When a recession comes, that's when you see the bad stuff. Uh, you know, George, uh, Bill Clinton had an economy that only grew throughout his entire administration, arguably at faster rates than under, than under Trump. The labor participation rate is improving, but nowhere near as fast. And it hasn't got to the levels that it was before the year 2000. Um, there's a bunch of numbers that suggest that it's not as good as Trump would like to say it is. On the other hand, it's, it's good. You know, it's, it certainly beats the alternative. Uh, and it's better than under Obama. And if he only ran, if he only ran on, look, look at the wonderful things I'm doing for the economy then I think he would be tolerable. But these kind of issues get minor reference by him. He's much more interested in running on scaring people, on, uh, on telling us how awful things are in spite of the great economy. So if he just said, look, I deregulated, I cut taxes, the economy's doing well, and, and he left all the other stuff, then fine. But that's, he spends very little time on this stuff and everything on the other stuff. But the well, Fed stuff is the the Fed stuff is interesting. Well, and and that's the thing. I mean, first of all, he's he's complaining because he wanted, and he wouldn't say exactly. He he tells you the opposite of what he wanted, right? He says quantitative tightening was a killer. Should have done the exact opposite, which is of course quantitative so, easing. And if you look up quantitative easing, you know the standard just Wikipedia explanation is the Fed directly in, injecting money into the economy by That's buying buying bonds so it's printing money yeah. it's it's increasing the money directly available to banks although i mean it's complicated but there wasn't real easing because the the money then flowed into bank reserves at the fed so it came out of one pocket and went into another pocket and nothing much changed but um but they, 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 the interesting thing, so he's complaining because he says economic growth could have been 4%, but it's only 3% because of the Fed. And, and this is my second, I guess, I told you so moment. Because I've said again for, for a year at least, maybe two years, that when things go bad, Trump will use the Fed as a scapegoat. He will blame the Fed for what happened. He has set this up for months and months and months. He's been saying all along. Of course, he nominated this chairman. Powell, I was against Powell. I, I suggested that he nominate uh, the Professor, um, oh my God, Taylor, Taylor, Taylor from uh, Stanford. Uh, but he didn't want to nominate Taylor because Taylor was an independent guy who wouldn't have done what Trump demanded of him. Powell is a nobody, stands for nothing, reminds me a little of Trump, complete pragmatist, has no ideology has no economic point of view and Trump thought he could bully him and it turns out that Trump indeed can bully him but he's going to complain about him anyway because uh, if whatever Powell does Trump will complain if he lowers interest rates and we get inflation it'll be or we get something else it'll be Powell's fault if it's bad if he doesn't lower interest rates or if he increases interest rates and the economy slows down He'll blame Powell. Um, he'll blame the Fed. So he's got this wonderful out of blaming anything bad on, uh, on the Fed, and he's already doing it. So he keeps setting it up. So if we do have a recession, uh, 
when we do have a recession, he'll have a fall guy. Yeah, and here he's just saying, oh, well, it would be even better than it is if. And I mean, what would, the, is it actually that the GDP would be that or just the numbers would reflect? I mean, does GDP mean anything if you can manipulate it just by quantitative easing, right? No, it means economic growth and it's adjusted for inflation. So yeah, I mean, you can manipulate GDP. You can manipulate a lot of economic numbers. But I mean, does it mean real productivity then? Yeah, in the short run. The question is what happens in the long run. It's like cutting taxes. You cut taxes, and yes, the economy grows in the short run. You know, that's completely understandable. But if you you don't cut spending and you amass huge deficit, you're sacrificing the future for the present. You actually – now, you're also – distorting the present because there's a lot of malinvestment going on because of all the government spending. But you're also sacrificing the future for the present. So you're giving up on future growth in order to attain present growth, which is what Trump has done, particularly with the tax cuts and the government spending out of control. And yes, people are feeling good. I mean, people, you know, there are jobs, the economy's chugging along. Um, All of that, you know, is true. And Trump should and is going to take credit for it. some of us should point out the cost of all these things and the long-term cost that we're going to pay for, for, all of this for all of this short-term economic growth. Um, I don't think anybody's listening. I don't think anybody will listen to us because everybody is enamored with what's happening right now. But you can't run a, a trillion-dollar annual deficit and think, unless you're you know, one of these MMT, unless you're OEC, which I think Trump is very similar to in many respects, um, you can't run trillion-dollar deficits without there being a consequence. And Trump and Republicans have done nothing to try to reduce those deficits. We're already at $22 trillion, I think, of total uh, debt. It's only going to increase dramatically uh, under Trump. And then now it could take a long time before that manifests itself. You could say, to hell with it, in the long run we're all dead, which is what Keynes said. And so who cares about the long run? But the fact is that, you yes, Feel good now. Enjoy it because it ain't going to last forever. And at some point, you're going to pay for it. Now, it could be that you won't even know that you paid for it. That's the other thing about economics. Often, we don't know that we're paying for it because Mm -hmm. the economy might grow for decades at 2%. And we could have grown for decades at 4%. And the difference between 2 to 4% is unbelievable when you compound it. It's it's the difference between the wealth we have today in the United States and what Mexico has, imagine if we'd grown to 2% less every year for the last 50 years, we'd be as rich as Mexico. So the difference is that compounding, and that's, it's massive. So that's the problem with economics, the, 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 the problem with life, right? The path you didn't take, mm-hmm. you can't visualize. You, it's not real to you. I, you know, I can hypothetically tell you the th- you know, what I think would have happened, but I can't show you, I can't point to it. And that makes people, particularly if they're concrete bound, it makes people, uh, it makes it impossible for them to actually observe the damage being done. There's enormous, unbelievable damage being done to the U.S. economy right now by this administration, by past administration, by everybody since the Bush administration, and, and everybody for the last 100 years. But, but it's definitely significant over the last two administrations. But much of that damage is not being seen. The economy since Obama has grown nicely. There were no recessions under Obama. 
uh, the economy grew, and it, that that economic growth has accelerated a little bit, a little bit under under Trump. But the distortions, the perversions, the 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 bad investments, the bad stuff un, that underpins, that is in the background, we can't observe. And when the recession comes, it'll be blamed on capitalism. It won't be blamed on any of these things, and it certainly won't be blamed on. Trump or Obama or any politician. Yeah, and, and that's why, you know, if I get the opportunity when I do these tweets, and actually I think this this tweet, the one about the Trump sounding like a capitalist, oh, wait, no, it's not that one. It's the next one that Shapiro yeah. actually retweeted for me. But, um, you know, I will, when he is not sounding like a capitalist at all, call it out. Because so many people say, oh, he's a capitalist. Yeah. And he is no such thing. No. No. He is calling for quantitative easing, he's calling for the Fed to inject money, print money. That is, well, and as, that, long, you know, as long as we have a Fed, there are circumstances in which the Fed has to inject money. If we have mm-hmm. a Fed, you have to, and, and what they did, uh, much of what they did at the financial crisis, given that we had to have a Fed, was they actually didn't inject enough money. So one of the problems both in 2008 and in the Great Depression was that the Fed did not inject enough money in the great depression they actually sucked money out of the economy just when it needed mm-hmm. so they created this credit deflationary cycle in a great depression and arguably in 2008 they were not fast enough and not aggressive enough in injecting money given that you have a fed it has to act it has to do something to the the, the pretense of it can just stay out of it and do nothing is a misnomer because they're doing something every day that's what they are they're the fed they're the central bank and not doing anything is doing something. It's, it's mm-hmm. actually... So this is why you need somebody like John Taylor to be at the... As long as there's a Fed and it's going to act semi-rationally, you need it to act based on some kind of rule that determines when you inject money and when you don't inject money and how much money and how, what are the criteria. Right now, and this is true under Bernanke and it's certainly true under Powell, it's completely arbitrary and random. It is whatever the Fed chairman and the committee decide... And their models, their statistics uh, are very, very, very bad and arbitrary. So um, it, it's, it's not economics. So there, there are better ways. Is it ways. based on pressure group stuff? So it's sort of like a crony It's not so much pressure group made? stuff. The Fed is somewhat immune from pressure groups, although the banks are pressure groups with the Fed. But it's, it's, it's relatively not that. Um, but it's... It's much more the um, uh, it's an arbitrary function. It's a non-market function. It's a central planning function. You can do it really, really badly or a little less bad, but it's always going to be bad. And the little less bad would have been um, would have been appointing John Taylor, who would have imposed the Taylor rule, and that would have been a little less bad. Still, would have been bad. It still would have created problems, but so nothing is, is like. So, is the idea that you um you add more money as necessary to uh, permit an increase in production in goods and services to flow properly through the economy because there is a real increase or something? Is that yeah? So, what happens be- during things like a financial crisis is there is a true, you know, it, 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 because credit is being destroyed. Credit being destroyed means. People are, 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 are not paying back their debt. Banks are not lending money. There is a massive contraction in the amount of money that exists out there. And people, 
because people can't borrow money and because banks suddenly see all these, you know, they, they shut everything out. And what you get is this, uh, is this spiral where it gets worse and worse and worse and worse, which was what happened during the Great Depression. And what usually happens is, you know, in a, in a free banking system, that would, uh, the whole thing would have never happened, right? The, the dynamic, that whole dynamic would have never happened. But be, and, and a lot of that dynamic is that there was a lot of money being freed up by the central bank leading up to this collapse. So central bank needs during periods in which that collapse is happening to, in a sense, you know, uh, back up the banking system with liquidity, back, back it up with financial resources, with money to facilitate the continuation of economic and financial transactions. And that would... Now, with Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Again, there's no way to do that without some kind of long-term bad consequences. But it's all you have. It's all you have. So you have to do something because the short-term economic consequences can be so negative as to justify the action. There's so many things like this. So, you know, what do you do about North Korea now that we're in this horrible, you know, position where anything that we do, you we're maybe wave putting a South Korea flag. at risk or ourselves at risk or, huh? You don't wave a communist flag with the leader of one of the most brutal dictatorships in the world. Right, right. But you, there's there's so many things like this friend. in which our government has been pursuing yeah. Yeah, a wrong, no immoral, destructive policy for decades, century or more, whatever. And in order to survive the short term at all, you have to continue in some way that policy. But then, of course, the question is, you have to do it with an eye to getting out and doing something better, which Trump has no idea. And you're saying if he had appointed Taylor, there would have been some idea of working towards something better, or yeah. is it just at least yeah. mitigating the damage It would now, have mitigated or? some of the damage. I mean, again, I'm, I'm not saying that John Taylor would have been perfect because I don't think you can be a perfect chairman of the Fed. But there's a difference between appointing somebody who's a nobody and a nothing and therefore is swayed by the wind and appointing somebody who at least has a rule. The market know what the rule is. It creates some stability and predictability. And it helps the market know what's going on. You know, whenever you have an institution like the Fed or, or bad foreign policy like with North Korea or the Middle East, what you need to do is start unwinding the bad foreign policy. You need to start unwinding. And the first thing to do with the Fed is put it on a rule-based system and then ultimately dissolve it. But, you know, nobody's talking about dissolving it. So at least make it as predictable as possible. At least make it so that people understand what it's doing, why it's doing, when it's doing it. And then markets can adjust fairly well to predictable changes in interest rates and predictable changes in, in uh, the money supply. What they don't like is finger-in-the-wind, pragmatic, unprincipled-type uh, behavior, which is what Powell is exhibiting uh, right. and, and what Trump is exhibiting. So, so you, know, uh, uh, you know, the one thing, the reason I think the economy is doing well— is that the one thing that Trump has been semi-predictable on is that he's generally loose, loosening up the regulatory burden on companies, not 
in a kind of a massive systematic legislative scale that is needed, but at least the regulatory agencies are somewhat hands-off and are giving space to businessmen to invest and to grow and to build and to create stuff. Because he's not fighting the legislative battle, it's easily reversible when the next yes. president comes in because it's or all a matter the court of who challenges, you right? Because he's been trying to or do some of that with Obamacare and yeah. then the courts undo what he's doing. Yeah, right? the only way to do it is to pass legislation. That's the system we live in is the system of laws. And, it, it, and that's what Jimmy Carter and uh, Ronald Reagan did. Actually, President Ford and then Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan did when they deregulated many American businesses in the 1970s and 80s was it was through legislation, through massive bipartisan, massive pieces of legislation that actually deregulated American business. And it would be one thing if you said you can't do it because Congress won't do it, but nobody's tried. And there's been no effort by the administration to do it. There's been no using the bully pulpit to do it. There's been no massive legislation proposed that was then rejected by, you know, Democrats or Republicans or whatever. There just hasn't been that. It's just been behind the scenes at the regulatory agency's deregulation, which is better than nothing, but very, very reversible. Also, I mean, it's true that the tax cuts and other things are making businesses, they have more money. Uh, you know, because because they primarily the corporate tax rate is being cut, which is a good thing. Um, but you know, not everybody has more money because a lot of people's personal taxes have actually gone up. But in terms of in terms of corporate taxes, they've gone down. But again, that's a that's a short term, one time effect. In uh, and, and because of the government deficits, taxes will have to go up in the future, and they will go up in the future. So yes, feel good now, invest now. But long run, you know, what, what all of this has done is created massive instability in terms of the long run. And nobody, zombie nobody. economy. It's yeah. the zombie economy. Nobody is fighting for the long-term health of the U.S. economy. Nobody's bringing it up. Nobody's arguing for it. They, you know, if, if the Republicans used to be so-called fiscal conservatives and used to fight for some kind of physical responsibility, which they did under Obama quite successfully and government spending shrunk significantly under Obama— they're not under Trump. They're quite the opposite under Trump. They're spending like there's no tomorrow. Uh, if Republicans used to talk about reforming entitlements, which is the largest spend on the, which both distorts markets, primarily the healthcare market, and is bankrupting us, Republicans have stopped talking about reforming entitlements. So the agenda of slowing down spending and the agenda of t- entitlement reform have been taken off the table by Trump, maybe one of the most damaging things that he's done. And by doing that, yes, feel, you're feeling good now. The economy's doing well now. You're investing money. You, you think you've got more freedom in the short run. But you're also sacrificing your long-run uh, viability as a business uh, because at some point you're going to have to pay for all these things. You, you know, at yeah. some point, you know, eight years eight. Reality is what it is. It doesn't. It doesn't move based on your whim or based on Trump's whim, or based on the future presidents. Facts don't care whim. about it, your feelings. Facts don't care about your feelings. I, we shouldn't quote uh, Ben Shapiro too much. I shouldn't, he's even a nice if he's guy, good. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, I don't think he invented that. I doubt that he was the first one to ever say that. I mean, it's 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 it could be right out of Ayn Rand, right? Um, so we've got another couple of super chat questions. So let's do these quickly. This is right up your alley, Amy. So this is perfect for you. Some people think exposing government documents that prove corruption and war crimes and tyranny is wrong. 
Aren't Assange, Snowden, and Manning heroes? Yeah, so uh, this, and this is in our program notes, actually. Again, program notes, don't let it go.com. I have a link to the story about the Julian Assange arrest. And I, you know, because of this worried, because we're the ones that are indicting him and extraditing him, right? I worried that perhaps Snowden would be next. And why? Because I don't think that Trump, sees a difference between Assange and Snowden. And I see a difference well, between we know his Secretary of State Assange right? and Manning and Snowden. Hmm? We know both the Secretary of State doesn't see a difference and John Bolton, his chief, um, what, do you call it? what do you call it? Uh, his uh, national security advisor doesn't see a difference. Both uh, Pompeo. I debated. I debated. Yeah, Bolton. Bolton. I know. I, know. I, I had that opportunity yeah. right after the Snowden revelations yeah. Yeah. and you know, Bolton is all over Fox News yeah. saying that, um, you know, Snowden should be tried for treason and hung and all these. And I debated him about Snowden then, just weeks after the Snowden revelations in 2013. Um, Snowden, in my view, is very different. Snowden did two things. First of all, he exposed a systematic violation of citizens' rights by our government. that was occurring through the NSA and everything else, right? Uh, The things that Manning was revealing are things, some of which I might say at least it's okay, it's within a proper purview. Um, The other thing is I do believe that Snowden worked within the chain of command to try to um, complain about the things that he thought and that were morally objectionable that our government was doing. And I don't think that Manning did that. Um, Third, I believe that Snowden took precautions to make sure that he was not endangering innocent people, either who were citizens or worked for the government or whatever. So he would redact materials when he would give them to journalists or he would give them to journalists he thought he could trust to redact in order to not endanger people. Whereas Assange is just, you know, Manning just, uh, release it all, put all sorts of people at risk and danger. People who are stationed overseas could get killed and things like, you know, exposed and everything. Yeah. So there's a, a lot of distinctions. Uh, but to me, Snowden did something that in the context was necessary. Of course, what have been the fruits of it? Unfortunately, it's not nearly what I would hope that it would be. But there was at least at the time when gone, he exposed these things. Yeah, yeah this was... is the problem with concretes that without any principle behind them is without any principle in the populace. So they, you know, people got upset about the concretes around Snowden, but they didn't rally around the principle and therefore the politicians had no motivation. They spun it differently. Well, I... I mean, in my view, it's hard for people to understand the yep. actual principled thing that needs to happen, which is we need to get rid of the constitutional doctrine that supposedly makes all the stuff the government was doing in the Snowden revelations, all this data collecting and stuff legal. And I I have a story actually that is tied into the, you know, this ongoing thing about when is it that a private company collecting information about you is justified in turning it over to the government. These stories come up all the time. Google's collecting data about you or these cameras are all over the place and they're collecting data about you and it's going to the government. And, you know, in the case that I've got in the, um, 
the program notes, where is it? Oh, it's the one that the New York Times just had this one today. It says, we built an unbelievable but legal yeah, facial, facial recognition, recognition machine. machine. I saw that. And yeah. the idea is with these cameras and stuff that they have out there that um, they're issuing warrants that will allow data about anybody who was in the area at a certain time given without any more particularized suspicion about the individuals. And to me, I would say, well, there's, you know, there's two principles for a valid warrant. Well, there's actually, a, a, you know, there's three really criteria, but you have to have probable cause. Yep. And yeah, you'd say, okay, we know that a crime was committed in a certain place. And so that anything within a certain area, it's probable that somebody who was in that area in a certain time frame did it. So you've got probable cause, but if you are, you know, kind of dragnetting information about everybody who was in that area in a certain time frame, depending on how big the time frame is and how large the geographic area and everything else, you are not, uh, you know, applying the principle of particularized suspicion. And that was a question I had for you, Yaron, because, this, you know, this is something as I'm going into the privacy book and trying to give people concrete examples that they should worry about. Um, do you think it's fine, you know, that this is enough particularized suspicion that, oh, you know, within two hours of the crime in a certain, you know, 10 mile radius or whatever, anybody that the cell phone companies say was in that area they're going to put in this database and start searching about them? Or do you think you have to have more in order to apply this principle of particularized suspicion such that government shouldn't be getting data about you unless they have that? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think the government should be collecting data on you in any kind of form unless there's a reason to collect the data. It's not one day we'll need it, so we're just going to collect the data. Now, the thing about the New York thing is that they managed to identify people purely based on publicly available information with no government data, right? Just by, by, through Facebook and places like that, photos, and they, you know, match. And it's pretty amazing, the technology, and it's only going to get better. And in some regards, I, I think when it comes to private actors, we have to accept the fact that we're going to have less and less and less, in some domains, less and less privacy. That is, when you walk out in the street, you're going to have to assume, and I think you already should assume, that everything you do is being watched by somebody, not necessarily the government, by somebody. And, and that, that, you know, my worry is that that somebody can easily hand over that information to the government. Right. Uh, and that's the, the linchpin for me really as well. It. You know, the concern yeah. is at, on, you know, what will the government have to do or should do? But I'm worried in order beyond that, that because, you know, I'm worried. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. About the whole deterioration in the rule of law. So even if you say they need a warrant, well, I don't know what it's in the future. It might be much easier to get warrants than it is today because because the courts have been co-opted by by the statists and, and the government is going to want to monitor us and therefore... You know, it'll be much easier to get warrants in the future than it is today as the state becomes more intrusive and more powerful and more demanding. I, I want to go back to the to that comparison between Snowden and Manning and, and WikiLeaks. I mean, I think mm-hmm. I think it's important. I, I think Snowden is indeed heroic in that he revealed these violations of individual rights. And, and uh, but I don't think Assange and WikiLeaks have been, you know, WikiLeaks. Has, has predominant has, has been willing to basically share anything, uh, whether it had national security consequences or, or not. Exactly. WikiLeaks has also been willing, quite willingly, to uh, to release private information and and to steal information, corporate information, to go into mm. corporate databases and steal them and expose them. The Panama Papers, for example, the Panama Papers are, are an example of. Um, uh, you know, legal law firms, a law firm in Panama that had these all these private accounts for individuals that had arranged all kinds of corporate structures for them. Yeah, to evade taxes, good for them. Good, um, yeah. But WikiLeaks released all the Panama Papers, or, or people affiliated with WikiLeaks did that, which I think is a massive violation of the rights of the company in Panama and the rights of the individuals who hired the company in Panama to do what they did. Um, I think Manning was not scanning the documents to see, as you said, whether people's lives were endangered or not. He wasn't scanning to see whether there were real national security issues that he was revealing here or not. He was just in a he was he was much more, I think, uh, nihilistic in that just go, you know, slam the government, slam the military, release everything, damn the consequences. And and I, I so I think there's a huge difference between them and, um, and and Snowden, and they should not be confused. Well, and, no- and part of our military activities, whether they're legitimate or not, are things that you and I would disagree about with Manning and also Snowden. I mean, you know, this is the thing. As far as we know, there were a lot of um, sort of allegations by our government that Snowden's revelations did have national security consequences that they did sort of impair certain government programs, but I, in my mind, the any any sort of impairment that had resulted from what Snowden did is something the government wasn't entitled to avoid. Yep. Government was engaged in systematic violations of our rights, and as Snowden's attorney explained so well a while ago, the it was not possible to challenge these programs otherwise. People had tried to challenge these programs in court, but they couldn't get what's called standing in the court of law because they couldn't provide evidence that they had undergone certain types yep. of injuries yep. because of these programs. And what Snowden's revelations allowed is finally for these 
programs to be challenged in a court of law. Now, that's no guarantee that. No, we're unfortunately, going to they're that. all still there. But you Mostly couldn't even challenge them at all. Yeah, mostly are still there. Although the NSA has reformed certain things, they've got a whole new department of uh, new uh, toys. Well, they've got a whole series of bureaucrats now that they've appointed to to authorize, uh, you know, when there's controversial issues, to to screen them and to authorize them and to question them. So there's there's been some changes to the NSA, but my suspicion is that those changes primarily are going to hamper their actual legitimate function, and uh, it will not do much to protect us from the other stuff. All right, we've got a question here about immigration. How do I debate and defend immigration, legal and illegal, with individual rights? I mean, I would say two things that you should focus on. One is the individual rights of the immigrant. The immigrant has a right, a right to, to assemble, to move, to, to a right to their life. And that right to their life is not restricted by a fence. It's not restricted by a geographic area. You have an inalienable right to your life, which means to the actions you rationally deem necessary for your survival and for your thriving. And if that means moving to the United States of America, because that's the place you can survive or thrive, and you cannot survive or thrive where you're living right now, then you and there ev- are people here who want to hire you, yeah, so that's who want a second, to offer that's you a, a place aspect. to live, invite you into their homes. Yes. So what about the individual rights of Americans who want to hire you and who want to offer you a hotel room or offer you a place to work or offer you an employment contract or offer you a bunch of other things? What about their right to, you know, why, where, is, where am I infringing on anybody's rights? By driving my pickup truck down to Mexico and hiring a bunch of people to come and work in my plant. Isn't that my inalienable right as an American? So I think both the, the immigrant has a right, have rights to pursue their life. And as long as they're not violating anybody else's rights, they have a right to do that. And they're not. By just crossing a border, no rights have been infringed on. And the second is, what about the rights of the American to hire, engage in, contract with you know, whomever they want? as long as it's not rights infringing. Uh, Brandon asks, is Assange a net good? I, mean, I don't think so. I think he's a net bad. I think he, he, he has stolen property. I mean, you can't say a thief because once in a while he steals from other crooks, but usually he steals from, from normal people is a net positive because sometimes he steals from crooks. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a thief. He's a bad guy. And his motivation is the wrong motivation. His motivation is not the protection of individual rights. No, and that's the whole thing. You know, at a certain point when someone is not acting in a principled way, just like Trump, uh, even though sometimes the consequences of what the person does happens to be good, it's in the long run not good because you can't see that person as animated by a life-sustaining principle in any way. Whereas Snowden, Snowden's mixed too, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely mixed. And he associated Snowden with really bad journalists. I mean, the journalists, he actually associated with are really, really bad. And he said some really awful things. But on that, I'd say that he is, he is a good guy um, and his intentions were basically good. With, uh, that, with that particular set of yeah. revelations that he yeah. did, yes, definitely. And boy, the risk to himself as well. Um, so yeah, I would I would say that those are definitely different cases, and I hope that 
you know, we're not seeing a precedent for extraditing Snowden from from Russia. Um, do you want to look at Trump a little bit more? We talked about North Korea a little bit, but this this particular tweet, I, I called him on his thing. He, he's basically implying that North Korea will be a success. All they have to do is give up their nuclear weapons so that we withdraw our sanctions and boom, the the economy will just take off, you know? And what I try to do in this tweet, I used every last one of the 280 characters is say, Hey, this principle that's supposed to be behind sanctions, right? The reason that we do sanctions is because this is a regime that poses threats that initiates force threatens against other countries, right? This is why we're doing it. And, uh, doesn't that principle apply within a country as well, such that if you are a thuggish, murderous dictator of a communist dictatorship, that you are preventing people from succeeding at all? How can you say that, oh, yeah, well, it's going to be a great success. We have an American president saying a communist regime is going to be a great success. All we have to do is just lift our sanctions. Well, because he doesn't understand where economic growth comes from, and he thinks like a statist, he thinks like a central planner. And he also thinks, oh, we'll just pour capital in there like we did, I don't know, in China or like we did in the Marshall Plan or whatever, and things will just happen, ignoring the fact that uh, the Marshall Plan involved free countries or mostly free countries like Germany and France and the UK, and that China didn't grow even though we lifted sanctions under Mao Zedong until Deng Xiaoping came in and actually opened up the economy and actually freed up and provided real economic freedom. So what he should be encouraging Kim to do, sanctions or no sanctions. I mean, to some extent, Kim can just liberate his economy and open up his borders and and uh, create economic relative economic freedom in North Korea, even with American sanctions. I mean, that's what he should do, right? It's not like he should succumb to American demands that he dismantle his nuclear program. What he should really do is just you know, let go of the reins of control and the reins of power over his own people. He doesn't need the lifting of American sanctions in order to grow his economy. What he needs in order to grow his economy is freedom for his people. And yeah. that's what he's denying them. So it's, it's the opposite. It's not sanctions that create economic growth. It's freedom that creates economic growth. And for freedom, he doesn't even have to give his nuclear power up. I mean, you could tweet him and say, hey, hey man, don't... Don't worry. You don't have to give up your nukes. Right. Keep your nukes. Who cares? Just open up your economy and, and liberate your people and resign or commit suicide. That would be ideal. But, you know, go away. That will make North Korea rich, not But this is, this the, is the thing he doesn't get. You know, it's, it's all of a piece, right? So if Kim were to do that, then basically within the country, there would be a demand to not be so hostile to America, where a lot of people in that thriving economy, they would want to trade with us and have friendly relations with us. They wouldn't want their leader threatening our lives, et cetera, et cetera. I think right? for the most so part, it, it, it all goes I mean, together. it's hard to tell because, I mean, look at China. China's, in spite of the freedoms, people are still behaving as, you know, antagonistically and encouraging antagonistic behavior towards a place like Japan and others. So it's not obvious that that's the case, but, you know, it's, but it's upside down. And, and, and it's more, I mean, he, Trump's whole policy towards North Korea 
is maybe one of the most revealing policies of all in terms of what his true nature, Trump's true nature is, and that's his nature is, uh, you know, and and nature of an authoritarian and a nature of a, uh, a, you know, somebody who a central planner who doesn't really understand what it takes, but but, and and a, and a complete, complete and utter um, uh, narcissist. I mean, I mean. Why does he like Kim? Because Kim is nice to him. You know, now he's, he's his best friend. I mean, to call a murderous thug his best friend, and even if you're playing 4D chess, choose a different move, right? Really. Um, I mean, maybe the 4D chess, that makes sense, but in the 6D chess, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's, it's complete nuts to call a murderous thug. Think about what the people in North Korea must be thinking. Uh, you know, think uh, as in comparison to the way Ronald Reagan talked about the Soviet Union and, and the impact that had on, for example, solidarity and, and, and people within a solidarity movement that got immense moral courage from the fact that the leader of the free world or the semi-free world was, was supporting them and was standing up to the Soviets. Uh, and, and you get the exact opposite, the exact opposite from, from Trump and Well, and what about the effect on Americans, too? Now, you know, any Trump supporter that I've heard is basically saying, oh, well, he's just, you know, buttering up before D chess, et cetera, et cetera. But we have an American president talking about a brutal, thuggish communist dictator, both in a friendly way and in a way that implies he actually believes that you could be successful, whatever that means, as a communist. Yep. Um, somehow communism leads or could lead to success. You know, there's many roads to success and ours is whatever our, you know, it's not capitalist for sure, but it's our way. And then his is his way. I mean, he thinks a good productive economy can be based on, you know, let's just go ahead and tweak the Fed a different way and inject more money too. So it's, I guess, of a piece. Yeah, no, I mean, again, he he should tell which companies to stay in the U.S. and which companies should leave. You know, uh, and and he should decide um, on all these kind of nitty gritty details. He is at heart. I I I always used to tweet that he was the CEO in charge, or the mm-hmm. uh, you know the central planner in charge. Central planner in chief, in right? Cent- oh, yeah. Central planner in chief, and he acts that way, and that's how he thinks. That's how he thinks. Economies need a planner, and he's the guy. Yes. Yes. All right. Liberal Deutsch asks. Um, Emotions is all. Liberal Deutsch, you haven't been here for a while. I've missed. I've missed you. Uh, I've missed the euros. No, I've I've missed your questions. Uh, it's been it's been a couple of months, three, two three months since Liberal Deutsch has asked the question. Okay, emotions result from ideas. So is the very fact of anxiety when confronting people with objectivist ideas a lack of conviction? Hmm. So is the very fact of anxiety when confronting people with objectivist ideas a lack of conviction? I'm not sure who you're talking about. Who is this that has anxiety when confronting people with objectivist ideas? I mean, you can have anxiety for a number of different reasons, and I don't think anxiety is necessarily a sign of... Um, I mean, anxiety is a sign of, of the fact that other people know more than you, a sign of, of, uh, of uh, lack of conviction. It could be uh, lack of confidence, which is not the same as lack of conviction. It could be um, 
It could be inexperience, which again is lack of confidence. So the, 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 I think there are other reasons why one could have anxiety. There are when all kinds of reasons. People. What's that? Yeah. There's all kinds of reasons yeah. why people could have anxiety. Well, but in, in a sense of, of confronting people with a certain set of ideas, I, I, I think it c- could be lots of things. It could be, you know, you've never done that. You've never confronted people. You've got other insecurities that have to do with confrontation and you don't like confrontation. Yeah, I mean, what is it? You have to, you're trying to prove yourself in yeah. some way in these people. Do you think they have? So I'm not sure what the question is giving for. And I think. I think you're oversimplifying. Maybe, maybe he can elaborate a little. Yeah, I think you're oversimplifying the idea that emotions result from ideas. I mean, they result from ideas, but it's it's not kind of a one-on-one. One idea has one emotion. Emotions result, I think, from value judgments, yes, from right? Conclusions one has. So, you know, is it so? What maybe maybe the person thinks I don't necessarily agree with all of these objectivist ideas, and so I'm anticipating a conflict, and a conflict with this objectivist who I respect is Causes going anxiety. to yeah. cause some. So it's you know it's ideas, yes, but ideas put in the service of a value judgment where you're anticipating that something's either going to be for or against your life, right? So the anxiety is some sort of a fear that something bad or you know unpleasant could happen um what what is that unpleasant thing and and what does it stem from does it stem i'm not seeing i'm not seeing um anyway if he follows up maybe we can address a little better action jackson is asking he's the action jackson is looking for trouble so he's looking to get us in trouble so he's asking what is your opinion on trump threatening to send illegal immigrants to sanctuary states He's going to send illegal immigrants oh, to sanctuary this? states. He's no, take, I mean, he's, is this the latest to just do this? these illegal immigrants who are, who are like uh, waiting for their asylum hearing, right? People who've crossed the border and have applied for asylum. And he's going to take them and he's going to take them to sanctuary cities like mm-hmm. San Francisco, Seattle. And he's just going to let them out there. Right? No, On Trump any- has said this. He's tweeted this. He's... He said this is what he's going to do. So he's saying, I can't have my preferred immigration policy, which is to just basically close the borders and keep everybody out. That's what a lot of those people want to do. Um, And so because I can't have that, I'm just going to throw a temper tantrum and not even take the minimum appropriate precautions that we would have if we had a proper moral foreign policy, which, you know, to elaborate on what you said earlier, yes, we have a right to bring people in and hire them and, you know, give them a place to live, invite them in their homes, everything, but not if that person actually poses a threat, some sort of a yeah, criminal threat, this... they're part of an enemy, they're, you know, yeah. walking around with Ebola or something. Yeah. No. And, and so there has to be a proper screening procedure. And he's saying, ah, forget the proper screening. No, Let's just he's not saying the that. Sanction. No, because he's, well, no, sure he's they, saying while, while they're waiting to see whether they, no, for asylum. So that's a different criteria, right? But so, but asylum also involves background checks and everything else, right? They're, yeah, but they're probably they probably being screened some minute. Let's say let's assume even that he screened them for infectious diseases and they're not terrorists, but they still haven't had their asylum hearing. And there are okay, all so these then he's camps saying the disproportionate the economic and uh, let's let's burden this with Democrats. Yeah, yeah. Basically, let's take all these people and dump them in. It dumped them in uh, the cities that claim they 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 are happy to take in as many illegal immigrants. Now, I'd say a few things about this. One, 
It is a mockery of the rule of law. There is a process. There's law. There are courts. There is a, there's a written law about this. There's supposed to be. Now, the law is bad. Granted, the law is bad. The whole idea that anybody who crosses the border, I'm here, I, I'm, I'm, I'm asking for asylum, then has to be somehow housed and fed and, and until uh, asylum. You know, why, you know, the one thing the government could do right now is, you know, hire hundreds of, you know, train a bunch of lawyers and hire them to take care of, of this asylum crisis that's happening on the border. Because what's happening with illegal immigrants now, which is different than in the past, is in the past they would sneak in and they would go, they would go to America. They would go to cities. They would go to places. They would find work. Now what they're doing is they're crossing the border and they're holding their hands up and they're, they're fining the police and they're saying, we crossed illegally, but we want asylum. So mm-hmm. please take care of us. And, 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 and we're going to go to the front of a judge. It's because the asylum laws are bad laws. But what Trump is doing, he's throwing out all of this, all of the laws, all of the rule of law. And I'm just going to take this out on my political opponents. Of course, if you actually just let all these illegal immigrants free, where would they go? Well, they're all going to go to sanctuary cities because they're going to treat them best over there. So, it's you know, that's going to happen anyway. So what's the big deal out of this? But there is the, the whole crisis at the border is a pseudo crisis. It's a pretend crisis. And the way to solve it is to have comprehensive immigration reform, to, to, to clearly articulate who we are willing to let into the country and who we are not. If you don't like the asylum laws, and I don't like them, and I know President Trump doesn't like them, then reform them as part of this comprehensive immigration bill. But you haven't even proposed anything. You haven't put anything on the table. Uh, and... I mean, the whole, it's, it's just, it's, it's flaunting, it, it really is turning everything into, into um, it's turning everything into politics, turning everything into Republicans versus Democrats rather than actually issues. And I don't think sanctuary cities are mockery of the law. Sanctuary cities are basically saying, we're not going to force a law that we believe is irrational. I mean, who cares? Uh, so I'm sure there were cities in the U.S. that during Prohibition did not enforce the laws against alcohol. Sanctuary cities for alcohol distribution. Fine. You want to, you when want to the hear law is thing? irrational, it, you, 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 you know, not enforcing that law. I wish there were more sanctuary cities for drugs, I think. And if you, if you want to see that play out, what's season three of uh, The Wire? I think it's season three of The Wire where they create a sanctuary city for drugs. Uh, In a sense, they legalize drugs in the city, and and what a beautiful outcome it has. So I I have no problem with sanctuary cities not not enforcing particularly laws when the laws are so irrational, so stupid, uh, that that they, you know, that... And and they're not violating anybody's rights, right? It's not like I'm not enforcing murder. I'm not enforcing the laws against stealing. You know, I'm not enforcing... Uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 an irrational law that relates to um, that relates to uh, what how you define a legal immigrant versus a non-legal immigrant, and the laws are so arbitrary and so irrational 
that 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 so he, what? He, pro he probably doesn't want the problem solved, right? Because well, then he can continue to talk about there's this emergency and he's the savior who's going to close the borders and get it all done, regardless of Congress not working with him. He was just tweeting within the last day, I believe, about you know Democrats they have to come and solve the immigration problem. Exactly how you know everybody's just punting. Everywhere. So I'm being accused of I'm being accused of advocating for anarchy. So he's legalizing marijuana. On a state level, is that anarchy? Because it's still illegal federally. So is California, Colorado, all these states that have legalized marijuana. By doing so, have they basically established anarchy? Because they're not enforcing federal law. They're, on the contrary, they're, they're snubbing federal law. They're, they're actually saying, we don't give a shit about federal law. We're just going ahead and doing our thing. Um, I'm saying there's certainly rational laws that if certain jurisdictions, you know, the feds can still uh, prosecute, the, pro prosecute those laws, but uh, their jurisdictions, they're not going to enforce. Again, these, none of these laws are rights-violating laws. If, there, if it was a rights-violating law, then absolutely, uh, you know, sanctuary anything would be wrong. But again, was, being an illegal really, immigrant yeah. doesn't violate rights. Smoking marijuana doesn't violate rights. Drinking yeah. alcohol doesn't violate rights. Um, and... Uh, you know, states decide how much of their budget is going to be allocated towards police doing X, Y, or Z. They, you know, they can decide. I'm not going to go and enforce federal laws on immigration using my local uh, local police forces. There was a really interesting case recently that touches on this immigration <laughs> issue and, and, the, and the tension. Uh, Motel 6, the chain, was told to pay $12 million, I believe, because they handed over their records, their guest records, to ICE. And then basically ICE used those records to find people and, you know, start deportation yep. proceedings yep. and things yep. like this, right? Yep. And so think about the implication of this, right? So if they are bad for handing that over, right, then somehow the law is saying that there is some protection for these people who are not necessarily violating anybody's rights. Um, the law is so confused, and I think it's because, like with the area of, of drugs, right, um, so much of Fourth Amendment stuff comes up because of drug cases and everything. Yeah. If you got rid of drug laws and if you got rid of unjust immigration laws and policies, so much of this would just clean out and there wouldn't be all this this mess um, well more than that you wouldn't have you wouldn't have all these des poor desperate people coming from places like guatemala and uh and el salvador and and other places in central america to a large extent the violence that they are escaping is caused by the war on drugs that we mm -hmm. are causing it we are the reason for it our war on drugs and yet our demand for drugs at the same time so our Population demands drugs, and then our government launches a war on drugs. That combination is what's creating the violence in in uh, in Central America, which is bringing which is bringing this you know the, the, these desperate people to our borders. All right, we have here a um, a question about Notre Dame, and uh, you had that in the program notes as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. Tax day is coming. Oh no. 
But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. If you all saw yesterday, but the fire in the Notre Dame, um, so the, the, I mean, it looks like they've saved a lot of the structure and they'll be able to rebuild. I'm amazed at what they were able to do, given what... Yeah, it didn't look good, because I, I was watching yeah. it live last night, uh, I guess on, on some European TV station where they were, they were showing the live... Uh, efforts and it didn't look like they were going to save much because it, it, it looked like it was undermanned and the fire was everywhere. But it was a pretty pretty dramatic pictures, and I have to say, I was really moved by this cathedral burning down, which is kind of bizarre because I'm an atheist. It's just a cathedral. Who cares? Um, but it's a symbol, and if you think about it, it was built. In, in around the, over 200 years, in the 12th and 13th centuries, um, in Paris, which was at the time becoming the center of learning in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in Europe. Uh, it's about the same time as Aristotle is kind of making the first few little footsteps into back, well, not back, into Western Europe, uh, thanks to those those evil Muslims um, who, who yeah. preserved them in their libraries in Spain. And, uh, you know, so Aristotle is coming back. This is about, I mean, Avernus is a little, not Avernus, uh, what's his name? Averroes. Yeah, yeah he's, he's a little later, but it's, it's generally the same time in European history. This is the birth, in many respects, this is the birth of Western civilization. Now, the cathedral, in many respects, represents the opposite of Western civilization because it represents faith and everything, but it is a, it's tiring heights. It's, it's grandeur represents that period from the, between the dark ages and uh, the Renaissance between the dark ages and ultimately the enlightenment when they reject with the rejection of, of much of Christianity. That is, it, it's symbolic in many respects, it's symbolic of kind of the rise of the West and the rise of Western civilization. Uh, the architecture and the grandeur of it. And to see it burn like that in France right now, given everything going on in France right now, struck me as very symbolic to kind of the decay and the death of, of the West. And uh, it, it was quite, I found it quite striking and quite emotional to watch it burn. It's a beautiful building, I remember being in Paris many times, looking at it, being inside of it, I think once or twice, but uh, certainly looking at it from every place in Paris, you could see it. It's the second tallest building after the Eiffel Tower. Um, and it was very much a, again, a symbol, I think, of the rise of the West uh, and the rise of Paris as a cultural center, which it begins to be with the Notre Dame, the Cathedral of Notre Dame. That that roof that was destroyed, I guess two-thirds of it was destroyed, and there was this whole section of it that was constructed of some intricate structure, you know, interweaving structure of beams, wood beams. And I read in one article that it said that engineers hadn't completely understood even the principle on which 
it was able to stand, you know, that and bear weight and all the stuff that it's done for centuries. So um, a, a little bit of a, a engineering feat as well, one that wasn't fully comprehended. And now they can't test it and do all the different things to. Well, supposedly they've got scans of everything so they can recreate it in, in minutest okay. details because recently some American went in there, some sci- uh, scientist or um, academic and, and scanned everything in, in great, great detail so they'll be able to resurrect it. I would Excellent. like to see, I mean, I think it would be cool is instead of that gothic um, thing, they put some modern, I mean, I, I just think it would it would be, all right, we're building the modern world on top of, it, it, it would just, because I hate gothic architecture. I think it's ugly. I think it's, it's well, horrible. Uh, someone, someone on Facebook was saying that that, you're talking about the particular spire, yeah, right? Yeah, the spire. That was and, built in the 19th century, but it was done in the style of the gothics. Right, right, right. And then, of course... And, Somebody mentioned this on, on Facebook. There's the whole emotional connection of Notre Dame to Victor Hugo, who, of course, wrote the beautiful, beautiful book, um, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, which I encourage everybody to read. It's just a, one of those books that, you, you, you know, you, you, it's hard to get out of your mind once you read it, and it's, it's so emotionally engaging, and the ending is so emotionally eerie and sad and depressing. But it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful book. Anyway, um, and, and I think I think you know, for Hugo, Notre Dame was a major a uh, you know a major feature of what made Paris Paris, and uh, always played. A, I think it played a role in more than just that book. It made a role in a couple of books. Um, anyway, so uh, so kudos to the firefighters who yeah. were able to. Yeah. Yeah. save so much of the art. I understand that a lot of the art yeah. was able to be saved yeah. and most of the structure and just, wow. Well, somebody's, somebody's saying here cynically that why don't we blame Trump for lighting the fire because we blame him for every other problem in the world, right? Irrationally so. Um, I, I am happy that the firefighters didn't uh, follow Trump's advice about dropping uh, water from airplanes on the top because it, you know, that would, it turns out that most experts believe that would have destroyed the structure uh, mm-hmm. much more than it did. That that volume of water just dropping would have been a disaster. Anyway, so I had to say something anti Trump because that's what we do. Because <laughs> you were asked to, exactly. That's what we have we do to. And we, 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 we were asked to. Okay. Hey, what if, um, what if we criticize AOC for a while? I always, I get a lot more positive feedback normally. Oh, yeah, but everybody's already left. So, you know. Oh, because we were criticizing Trump. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Um, AOC, I do have AOC. another question about anxiety. Let's let's do this because okay, he's paying sure, money, sure. and then we'll do that. Okay. Uh, but why would lack of confidence cause anxiety? Is lack of confidence lack of integrity, or is it possible for anxiety to be unchosen? Emotions are unchosen. Let's be clear. Emotions are automatic responses to values and conclusions you have come to in the past, and you might. You might have full integrity, but that sense of integrity is not fully integrated into every, every subconscious idea and choice that you have ever made. You might have, 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 have made some bad choices you know, when you were a kid that are very difficult to undo psychologically. And... Or not, or not even that, right? So, for example, there's this whole issue of attachment, right? And those of us 
who have had, you know, parents who left at an early age and things like that can mess up that whole sense and leave people struggling with anxiety issues and things like that. So it's there, it's not even necessarily, you know, that a, a child has a choice to make an evaluation based on something weird that happens in their childhood. And they, you know, they're so young that they don't really know why they're choosing to evaluate it the way that they are. And then it results in some premise that they've put in their subconscious years later. It, it could just be something really visceral, like, you know, dad left at X age and that's it, right? That there's a real um, abandonment that occurs and therefore that, you know, there's, it's very understandable. It's yeah. perfectly rational for the kid. If you, you know, even if you had a, a rational functioning, rational faculty at that stage to draw that conclusion that that is not pro your life, right? That this is something that's threatening. And so that can be there. Um, there are other things, of course, like you're talking about that when kids are young, they make value judgments about stuff and associations about things that they might have to unpack later that are a little more intricate. But then there's, you know, like I said, those really very basic things that can happen yeah. with parents and kids. Yeah, that's good. Abuse so, of different kinds too, right? Yeah, I mean, it could be all kinds. It doesn't have to be that negative, but it could be all kinds of conclusions you came to as a child that could be, come from all kinds of sources and that you don't have control over those conclusions yet. You, you'd have to do some analysis and you'd have to, a lot of times you don't have to necessarily do psychoanalysis, but you can, through integrating your new ideas, you get rid of the junk in a sense, but it takes a long time and it's hard to do. Emotions mm -hmm. don't respond like this immediately to your new values. All right, so Kapolisnik came late. So Kapolisnik, all these questions you're asking about Ben Shapiro were covered at the beginning of the show. So we did talk about um, the, the Right Side of History, his book, although we didn't fully talk about it because I haven't finished reading it. And uh, the status of debate with Ben Shapiro is unknown at this point, although there continues to be work to try to make it happen. So maybe there'll be news in the next few weeks. We'll see. And then I, I want to make one clarification about what I said about uh, sanctuary cities. I didn't say you as an individual have the ability to choose which laws to abide by and which not. Of course, you do. You do do that. I speed, and I am completely willing to pay the cost for when I speed. Ayn Rand talks about this. So you, you, there are laws you think are irrational, and you violate them, assuming they're not laws that violate individual rights. I, I don't have that big of a problem with you as long as you recognize the fact that if you're caught, you're going to pay a price for them. So I'm not, I'm not here arguing for individual anarchy. I'm arguing, yeah, you as an individual, I know lots of people. So the example here is gun control laws. I know lots of people who have guns that are not registered or not whatever. Um, and if they're caught, they'll pay the price and they just hope they're not going to get caught. And, but they're going to live by their standards. Okay. But, you know, the other thing is, so I'm not advocating here for individual anarchy. Choose the laws that you want to abide by. Though, again, some laws, yeah, I mean, what are the laws that I... If there was prohibition, I would flaunt it, right? As many of you probably smoke dope in places where it's still illegal. Even if you live in a state where it's legal, it's still federally illegal. So what rule do you go by? I don't know. You guys, you know, it's, it's been it's, it's been legal in California now for what a couple of years or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, people smoke you dope and before I, that as well. I still I still haven't dragged myself to one of these dispensaries and had any since it's been legal in California. How pathetic is that? That's not pathetic. That's good for you. I mean, what do you need dope for? I, what do you need that for? Well, I mean, just you know, one time. Oh, just once, okay, okay, it's legal and it being should there, be legal. Being there does that. Not interested. Uh, <laughs> so, 
Um, second point is that the rejection of the laws here is by, by state and local governments, state and local governments that are acting within their authority. So if a city is doing something that is in violation of the American Constitution, then the federal government should sue them. If a state is doing something that goes against federal law to an ex- to, and, and violating the Constitution in some fundamental sense, then sue them. So, and that's what happens, right? If, if, a, if, a city, if a city is too restrictive on gun control, right? More restrictive than people believe the Constitution demands, and you can sue the government. So if, if these sanctuary cities are doing something that's clearly non-constitutional against federal law to such an extent that then the government would sue, then the federal government would sue them. And the fact that the federal government is not suing these, although I think there are some cases in the courts, um, suggests that most of these, most of the cases, either the federal government doesn't feel strongly enough about these issues or the states, the counties, the cities are within their rights to decide how to allocate police hours and how what separation what, of powers, what regulations of ICE to abide by and what regulations of ICE not to abide by, uh, separation of powers exactly. And you know, I don't know all the intricacies of this and how it all works out, but it strikes me that if a city or a state flaunts, violates uh, federal law then the federal government has recourse against it. and Right, um, but then the only time that I would you know, advocate for that is if I think that the state is doing something against the principle of individual rights. So, for example, where we have had states that have legalized um, assisted suicide, right? So Oregon is one of the early ones that have allowed legal assisted suicide and then you have um at least i think i don't know if it was sessions was doing this or not you know they were going to go after them from the federal government i would be against that you know you would never so it's yeah the, the federal government might try but i would only support it and i wouldn't support the federal government going after yeah. sanctuary yeah cities. no i wouldn't support them either because yeah. i don't think sanctuary cities are doing anything to violate individual rights Right. And, uh, you know, vote the bastards out if you don't. You know, like again, the, my whole thinking about immigration is whenever the government is doing something, you want its actions to be guided by the principle of individual rights. And that includes immigration policy of every kind. And so whatever the government is, whatever the government does to act in that realm, it's got to be guided by that principle. Are the individuals who are coming over the border are they a threat to individual rights? If so, the government has a proper role. If not, not. Yep. And, you know, you, giving them a quiz on their ideology or, you know, any of these other things that don't talk about actual concrete physical actions that they've taken that show that they're a threat or something about them like contagious disease thing that show that they're a threat. Government doesn't have a role. All right, so Capitalist Nick has one more question. It's an easy one, so I can answer it quickly. Compare Austrian School of Economics versus Objectivist Economics. Rand was admi- admired human action, both critical of Ludwig von Mises' epistemology. I mean, it's simple because there is no such thing as objectivist economics. E- economics is a science. There's true economics and there's false economics. I think Austrian economics, as practiced by Mises and Menger and others, is is true or mostly true 
And uh, economists are going to have to figure out what else is true. And yes, his epistemology, particularly when he talks about praxeology, is wrong. How he managed to come up with a true economics in spite of his epistemology is pretty amazing. Um, but, he, he, you know, uh, there is no such thing as objectivist economics. It's, it's, they, they could be, uh, all objectivism says about economics is, as a science, is use reason in figuring out what the truth is when it comes to economics. Yes. Exactly. All right. And do you have something we can do in five minutes? Because we really should wrap up. I, I sure do. Um, and maybe there's going to be another I told you so baked into this one. It is the Melinda Gates interview from the New York Times. Yeah. Where And I do have one excerpt here in particular in which she's, you know, and there's all sorts of equality, income inequality issues all through it. So it's exactly right up your alley because of your book on inequality. But this one really struck me, and they, of course, had used a pull quote to highlight it as well. Uh, she says, sometimes the tech world thinks the solution is to give somebody an app, you know, an app on their phone or something. She says, well, that's not going to change everything. I would also love to see more tech innovation on behalf of the world. She says, uh, and she says, they're saying this. They're saying, let's create the next thing that tracks my dog. That's the app. And she says, that's fun and nice, but come on, there are people dying. End quote. So, you know, there are people dying out there. You should not be using all of your skills and ingenuity, entrepreneurship to create an app for a phone that's going to track somebody's dog that they love. Because, I mean, there's people dying in the world. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, um, she, um, Melinda, has always been much more of an altruist than I think uh, Bill Gates is. And uh, you can see it in this quote. You can see it in other things I've read. I mean, he he comes across as thinking he should feel guilty, and maybe his wife is the one trying to make him feel guilty, but she comes across as a real altruist, as really committed to these social justice kind of ideas. And she's also quite religious. I've read somewhere else that she's very religious. So I think her altruism comes from religion. And, uh, you know, she is, she, is quite, um, she is quite bad, quite bad. So, yes, you should feel guilty about pursuing your own values. You should, you should focus all your efforts, all your energy, all your thoughts, all your creativity, all your innovation on helping the so-called poor. That's yep. So long. So long as there are people dying, how dare you enjoy? Well, that's straight out of what's his name. What's the name of the the philosopher, the ethicist? Rawls. No, no. Singer. Um, Singer. Singer. Okay, right. P- Peter Singer. I think it's yes. Peter Singer. Peter Singer. Um, I mean, that's straight out of him. Now they call it effective altruism. There's a whole movement around this. You got to be effective in helping the poor. You got to automatize helping the poor. That should be a central focus in life. And yes. Altruism is everywhere, and I told them so. Yeah, and you've got it. You know, you've got a whole book on this, and yet they're interviewing Equal her, and they're unfair. not interviewing you. They need to be interviewing you. Yeah. So, yeah, um, but yeah, a thing that. that a thing that tracks your dog is tremendously valuable, and then it, of course it creates jobs for everybody else. And yeah, so I was at a great conference over the weekend. Really interesting. Uh, I mean, everybody, everybody you who don't doesn't like me would hate this conference because it was a conference. It was a conference of, by invitation only, about 200 people. 
I've never been in a room with uh, more successful people than in that room. I mean, they were all either unbelievably successful tech entrepreneurs or unbelievably successful Wall Street people or unbelievably successful some academics like law professor or a lot of neuroscientists, a lot of like Hmm. scientists, uh, uh, astrophysicists, uh, neuroscientists. And the the criteria for being in the room was you had to be super successful. I don't know, you know, know, it was nice that they invited me. Um, But it was... um, it was amazing that, uh, you, you know, to be... And, of course, they're, they're not philosophical and they have bad ideas and they're all kind of... Le- most of them are leftists. Uh, but it was just inspiring to be in a room where everybody around you, you know, had achieved something really significant in their life on the productive, in the productive world. And, uh, you know, I could... Everything else, you know, was a shame that they didn't get it that they didn't get the right philosophy, but it was also admirable what they had done in life. So, um, did you get to talk with some of them and maybe nudge them a little? Or no? Well, I did a lot of nudging, but okay. I, I don't know how effective it was. They weren't exactly. I mean, I'd say I was. The other thing unique about this room was, and I'm not allowed to say what happened at the event because it's supposed to be, you know, uh, yeah, um, sure. uh, private. But. Um, I will say I was one of the oldest people in the room, so mm-hmm. almost I'd say the average age was probably late thirties. So these are people not only being successful, being successful fast, being successful, incredibly successful at a very young age. Um, even the, the the scientists were relatively young, and it was um, there were few people who would be associated with kind of a free market perspective. We were a handful. Um, but, you know, probably less than a handful. But, um, yes, I nudged. There, there was a lot of conversations, lots and lots and lots of conversations. You talk all the time, constantly, in small groups. The whole conference is built around small group conversations. And um, so conversation about all kinds of topics, all kinds of issues. And uh, everybody saw Ayn Rand Institute on my name tag. Uh, raised an eyebrow. It was It was really, really interesting. But I got to nudge them a little bit uh but they're not exactly an audience that i think can be nudged a lot you know these are people unfortunately already fixed in their ways but i did what i could uh I, I, if i go back we'll do a little bit more we'll see if it, the, the real challenge with these organizations this this conference is do you get invited a second time because they monitor your behavior during the first time and they only invite the people back the people they want to invite back so it's okay. it was it was interesting it does sound interesting, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be speaking at an event, but we'll have time to talk about it again next week. I'll just Yeah, you should get plug it anyway to, with, uh, with Yeah, get, pe- get people to think about it now. On May 8th, I am going to be speaking at an event that Jonathan Honig set up with the Heartland Institute, and that is outside of Chicago in Arlington, I believe. And I'm going to be there with Jonathan, and then also Richard Salzman. He and I, uh, Richard and I, were contributors to the book, A New Textbook of Americanism, that Jonathan Honig recently published. So I was a contributor too, but I was not invited yet. to this event. You weren't invited? Well, probably the somewhere you were invited, me. but your calendar was already booked probably. or something I I'm, I'm anticipating. In, I think I'm in. You travel so much. I think much. I'm in Singapore or something when this event's happening or something like that. 
poor you. I yeah. got a violin and, you yeah. know. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm excited. So come on out. Good. Keep yeah, go to Chicago. Day. If you're in Chicago, anywhere near Chicago, go see Amy and Jonathan and I think Richard Salzman uh, talking, mm-hmm. about, um, talking about Americanism. the book. Talking about Americanism, what it is, should be a fun event. By uh, Sponsored by the Heartland Institute, uh, Institute I'm very, very uh, friendly towards and I've spoken there number of times they're really really good people and uh, some of the premier uh one of the premier organizations that speaks on um uh climate change on global warming anti-climate change anti-global warming so the good good organization to be affiliated with so it should so be they're fun. not all moving to duluth anytime soon they're not moving to duluth they're in no. chicago they've got they've got a they've got a property in Chicago. They've got a building. That's probably where you'll be speaking. You'll have a packed house because they always fill the room. They always fill the room. That'll be fun. Good. I'm looking forward to it. So anyway, yeah. So, All right, everybody. Um, where Where are you in the next week or so? What do you? I'm doing? here. I'm in Puerto Rico for two whole okay. weeks. I get okay. to be in Puerto Rico for two whole weeks. After that, I'm going to be in Austin, and then I'm, I'm doing something in the middle of nowhere, Virginia, like William and Lee College or something like that. It's like mm-hmm. no something. Anyway, middle of Virginia. No airports for at least an hour drive in any direction. Um, I'm going to be speaking there, and then um, then I go to then I go to Dallas and then to Asia, and I'll be in Asia for two and a, two two plus weeks. You know, so sometime if- when you're in California again, sometime we'll have to actually do a show in the same room. Well, uh, do you think that's possible? Yeah, July. <laughs> we can do that in July. Okay. Well, yeah, I've got to we've set up in that. my house. That'll be weird. We'll set we up another try. mic. We'll 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 put two cameras on. We'll make it work. It'll be it'll be fun. Yep. Yeah. Will, William and Mary is there? William and Mary? I don't know where it is. It's in the middle of nowhere. But in the meantime, we have one show next week, so that's yes. great. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, sir. Yep. So Thanks, more. Amy. I told you so. We'll see if you can give us some more next we'll week. We'll keep doing those. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks, Amy. Thanks, everybody. Thank Thanks you. for joining us. Don't forget to share. Don't forget to support our, us. Are you still on Patreon? I am not. I'm just doing PayPal right now, and then I'll set up something. How's your subscribe star thing? Is that good? Should subscribe I do it? Subscribe star is fine, but I'm, I'm trying to get as many people signed up on my website as possible. So most of the people, I think, have shifted, but I still have like 200 people still on Patreon. Uh, so those of you still on Patreon, please move to either subscribe star or to youronbrookshow.com slash support. And you can support Amy on don'tletitgo.com. When they do that with you, with your slash support, is that um, through PayPal then? They just set up kind of a monthly thing? But they can set up a recurring payment on PayPal. Okay. So it's good. It's good. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Uh, I will be back Thursday. Amy and I will be back next Tuesday. Thursday, 8 p.m. East Coast time. See you all in a few days. Bye, everybody.